Grace and peace be to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. Well, for us, it has been a week since Easter. For the disciples, since the resurrection of Jesus, it had been less than a day. It was the evening of the day of the resurrection. That morning, the disciples had heard from the women that Jesus was risen. Angels had appeared to the women at the tomb, and they had asked, Why do you seek the living among the the dead? He is not here. He is risen, just as he said. Peter and John, when they got that report from the women, they did what men do when they get a report from women. They go check it for themselves. This is what we do. Right? There's something going on with the cards, making a funny noise. Well, I'll go check on that, and I'll see if that's really happening. And we go and we check on it, and of course it's really happening, because that's just why they told us it was happening. And they hear this news, they go check on it for themselves, and what do they find? The tomb is empty. The body of Jesus isn't there. However, the grave cloths are there. If somebody had stolen the body of Jesus, they would certainly not have taken the time to unwrap the grave cloths from the body and then lay them out in the tomb. They would have snatched the body and gotten out as quickly as possible. And they certainly wouldn't have taken time to fold up the face cloth. By the way, there's this internet story that gets forwarded about this time of year, about the folding of the face cloth, the face napkin, as it's called in the King James Version. And according to this forwarded email, the head, of the co- that, that, the head covering of the body of Jesus was neatly full of a neatly folded napkin. Uh, and it goes on to say that the master at that time, in the Jewish culture, if he was letting his servants know whether he was done with his meal or if he was coming back. If he, if he was done, he would just toss the napkin to the side. If he was coming back, he would neatly fold it as a sign to them that he was returning. And the idea is this, this hidden message in Scripture that Jesus is saying, well, I'm returning. Well, it's a neat story. It's just not really founded in anything true. <laughs> yes, other than the, 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 the face cloth was, was folded there, right? But there's no evidence of this meaning actually existing in the Jewish culture. This, there's nothing in any ancient texts about anything regarding anything like this. Uh, it seems to have been made up about 2007, and, and it just was forwarded and forwarded and forwarded because it sounds so believable. It sounds so, so nice and... It does actually fit with what we believe, right? Jesus is coming back. But the problem is, when we forward things that are not true, it undermines our our testimony. It it says to the unbelieving world, see, they're willing to just believe this because it fits with what they already choose to believe. It doesn't matter if it's true or not. So we've got to be careful about the information that we share. 
But back to the events of that first Easter, Jesus had appeared then after that to Mary Magdalene. And he had told Mary Magdalene, do not cling to me, for I have not ascended to my father and your father. But go and say to my brothers, I am going to ascend to my father and your father, to my God and your God. And Mary had then shared this news with the disciples. And the disciples just don't even know what to think. Now remember last week, the disciples doubted. How could this crucified one possibly be raised from the dead? And the disciples had a few other things on their minds as well. (laughs) Is that crowd going to come for us? Are they going to come and try and do the same thing they did to Jesus, to us? So they gather in this room. They bolt the doors. And I suspect They were trying to just kind of reason with each other, think through what should our approach be, what should we do. What do we make of all of this this resurrection talk? But then suddenly, in the midst of this locked room, Jesus is there. (laughs) And he's standing amongst them. And he speaks to them. Peace be with you. And then as as signs of that peace that he was extending, and to make absolutely sure they understood this really is Jesus crucified and risen, he shows them his hands and his side. It seems that all of the other wounds were gone. All of the wounds from the scourging, from having been beaten, from the crown of thorns, all of the other wounds seem to be gone except for the ones in his hands and his feet and his side. Those remained as evidence of his saving work and evidence of his love for his people. Then Jesus speaks again, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. Then Jesus breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. This is what is called the keys of the kingdom. Going back to Matthew chapter 16, verse 19, Jesus had said, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Jesus had promised, I'm going to give you this authority. And now here he is, risen from the dead, giving this authority to his church. But, of course, famously, Thomas wasn't there. And you you remember the whole thing with Thomas, right? You know how it all goes down. Unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger in the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. And, of course, a week later, Jesus appears again to the disciples. This time Thomas is there, and Jesus gives evidence of the resurrection once again. Put your finger here and see my hands, and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. And at this, Thomas had confessed, my Lord and my God. And Jesus said, blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Well, earlier in the service... I spoke some words, and maybe you found them hard to believe. As a called and ordained servant of Christ, and by his authority, I therefore forgive you all of your sins. 
In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. And with that uh, absolution, two questions often come up. Who are you to forgive sins? (laughs) And are my sins really forgiven? Well, let's just tackle those in the order that we brought them up. Who are you to forgive sins? Well, it's not about me. (laughs) That's the thing. Only God has the authority to forgive sins. Is that true? Yep, that is true. Unless God then extends that authority and gives it to somebody else and says, now you have the authority to do it as well. Which is exactly what Jesus has done. Jesus said in Matthew 16, 19, he would give the keys of the kingdom to forgive sins and to bind sins for those who are unrepentant. And now in John chapter 20, That's exactly what Jesus does. Here you go. Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone their sins, they are forgiven. If you withhold that forgiveness because they're not repentant, well, that forgiveness does not belong to them until such time as they repent. That's why the absolution includes the words, by his authority, right? It's not, well, because I have this in my own person to forgive your sins. No, by the authority of the one who does have that power to forgive sins. The second question is this, are my sins really forgiven? Well, I guess the way to answer that is to say, do you believe the words of Jesus? (laughs) In John chapter 20, we read of Jesus giving the authority to forgive sins to his church. We also read of the doubt of Thomas. Thomas doubted the resurrection of Jesus, even though, as we heard earlier, last week, right? We heard last week, Jesus had called his shot, right? He had said, I will be I I will be turned over to the authorities. I will suffer. I will die. And on the third day, I will rise again. Jesus had told them this was going to happen. And then Jesus had sent messengers to tell the disciples of the resurrection as well. He had sent Mary Magdalene. He had sent the women by sending the angels to them to go and tell the disciples. In doubting the resurrection, Thomas was doubting the word of God. In doubting the resurrection, Thomas was like Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden being deceived by Satan. Did God really say? Because when God says something, we can bank on it, can't we? We can believe it. That's what our confirmands learned over the last two years in confirmation class. They learned when God says something, We believe it. When Jesus says, this is my body, this is my blood, we don't say, well, how could that even possibly be? We say, all right, Lord, as you've said, that's how it is. When Jesus says that, when God's word tells us, in baptism, you're born again. In baptism, you're given the Holy Spirit. You're raised as a new creation. We don't dismiss this as an impossibility because we know nothing's impossible with God. And when Jesus says he's giving authority to his church to forgive sins, we can believe it. 
Now, our confirmands know the answer when I ask them, when are you done with confirmation? The answer is not, well, now I am, because I'm being confirmed today. <laughs> when are you done with confirmation? The answer is, not until you die or Christ returns, because confirmation means strengthening. And you're not going to be done being strengthened in the faith until the day that Christ returns or the Lord calls you home. That's why that regular church attendance, regular Bible study attendance, that's why it's so important. But since it may have been just a few minutes since you were in confirmation class, and you might not remember all of the catechism, uh, to close things today, I want to have you turn in your hymnal to the portion on the catechism, uh, page 326, page 326. And on page 326, you will find the, confession, the section on confession and the office of the keys. All right, so page 326, and we're going to be uh, towards the bottom of the page there on the left-hand side. And what we'll do is I'll read the question, and then together we can read the answer. All right, what is the office of the keys? The office of the keys is that special authority which Christ has given to his church on earth to forgive the sins of repentant sinners, but to withhold forgiveness from the unrepentant as long as they do not repent. Where is this written? This is what St. John the Evangelist writes in chapter 20. The Lord Jesus breathed on his disciples and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive his sins, they are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. What do you believe according to these words? I believe that when called ministers of Christ deal with us by his divine command, in particular when they exclude openly unrepentant sinners from the Christian congregation and absolve those who repent of their sins and want to do better, This is just as valid and certain, even in heaven, as if Christ, our dear Lord, dealt with us himself. Just as sure and certain, because the risen Lord Jesus Christ has given this authority to his church, your sins are forgiven. Believe it. In Jesus' name. Amen. Now may the peace that passes all understanding keep your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus to life everlasting. Amen.